Grab your Bibles. Acts chapter 20. We are going to finally finish off Acts chapter 20. Starting at verse 33 to 38 will be our focus. But if you've been with us, you, you know that context is critical to understanding what is going on. So we're going to back up to 17 and read to the end of 38, giving special attention again from 32 or 33 to 38. Hear the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to them, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials and that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await for me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things and to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And now our text for the morning. I covet no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. And being sorrowful, most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. There's a story of, a, of World War II of a serviceman who was making his way back to the barracks in London. And 
he saw a little boy with his, his nose pressed up against a, a bakery window. And he was just staring in there. And I can almost imagine that there was just a little bit of drool coming down from the corners of his lips. And the serviceman said to this young man that he assumed that was a, an orphan and extremely hungry. He said, son, would you like some of those? Oh, yes, I would, replied the young boy. And the serviceman stepped inside, bought a dozen of whatever the little boy was looking at, and he took the bag outside to the boy and said, here you are. And as he walked away, he felt a little tug on his coat, and he heard the child ask quietly, Mr., are you God? When we give, we act as God does. We're all familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As God's people, we are to be givers. And we're not to be givers just during the Christmas season where we spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and for many people during that season, go into debt. We're not to just be givers during the Christmas season. We're not to be just givers during the birthday time of year where, you know, that special somebody needs this and you want to honor them with that kind of gift or that kind of opportunity. It's not around just even the anniversaries in life, in lives or baptisms or special church occasions. But it is to be a way of life for those who are in Christ. Giving is to be a way of life. In Paul's final address to the Ephesians elders, he reminds them of his own time and his own example when he was with them. His example was to be free from, from greed. He was free from greed and he, he was able to provide for his own needs by the work of his own hands as well as caring for the needs of his co-workers. He de demonstrated before them that that is what they too should be doing as shepherds of the flock. More than his own example, Paul told them to remember the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then Luke records this emotional farewell party. As they cried over one another, prayed together, because they would not see him again. These words that Jesus spoke are not contained anywhere else in all of Scripture. Apparently, they were part of an oral tradition that was just handed down and handed down for those who had, had heard Jesus during his time of earthly ministry. But as the Apostle Paul said in, in, his, uh, in his gospel, he says this, Now there, were many, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There's times that we may wish that we would have more of Jesus' sayings, but what we have is probably more than enough for us to work through in our, for our entire lifetime. Which is certainly true for these words of Jesus for us today. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And by our very nature, we are takers, aren't we? And we're not givers. But by God's sanctifying grace, He wants us to grow to be givers. And as we do, not only will others be blessed, but we will also be blessed. But why, why is it that givers are more blessed than those who received? And I remember even as a kid, my mom was notorious for saying this phrase. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And as a little kid, you're just going, are you serious? You know, I would love to have another present. I wanted to be on the receiving end. And I believe that's true for all of our natures. We want to be always on the receiving end. And our text explicitly lays out at least three reasons that why givers are more blessed. And a fourth is more implicit in Jesus' statement and taught explicitly in other scriptures. So our theme this morning is this. Givers are blessed because they are freed from greed they are being conformed to Jesus and they have enduring relationships with others and will reap eternal rewards. We'll go through each one of those, so don't feel like you got to quick scribble it down. First, givers are, more, are blessed because they are freed from the destructive sin of greed. Perhaps Paul was trying to do some compare and contrast between himself and the false teachers that were going to be coming in. He just warned them about all these, these, uh, these types of false teachers that were going to come in and they were going to destroy the church. And there were even going to be people who came in, men from among themselves, that were going to twist the words. And Paul was trying to compare and contrast. No, this is what they do. This is what I do. And throughout the Bible, false teachers have been denounced for being greedy and covetous. But Paul's example shows us that elders, elders are to set an example of being freed from greed. Context is king, right? Who is Paul talking to? He's talking to specifically now to the elders. Does this apply to the rest of us? Absolutely. But specifically, he's saying elders are to set the example of being freed from greed. As Paul argued in a number of different scriptures... Corinthians 9, 1 Timothy 5, those who labor in the gospel for the gospel are worthy of being supported by the gospel. But there is a huge difference between a man who is being supported by the gospel and a man who is in ministry to get rich by taking advantage of other people. There's a huge, huge distance there. And one thing that is required for elders is that they must not be lovers of money. Both elders and deacons must not be greedy for gain. And if a man is trying to fleece the flock, it erodes trust and it undercuts any basis for any lasting spiritual ministry. Even the prophet Micah denounced Jerusalem's leaders that had pronounced judgment for a bride and priests who instructed for a price and prophets who divined for, for money. In the world, giving counsel is a costly thing. Even if you go see a lawyer just for a little bit of advice, just their counsel and advice comes at a high price. 
high price. And unfortunately, the Christian world has taken after the secular world in this. God's servants should offer counsel or other kinds of ministry freely. They should offer it freely, trusting that God will provide, that God will care for all their needs as they minister to other people. And there's nothing wrong that with charging a, a cost for a product, a cost for a book, a cost for an MP3, a cost for anything like that to just cover basic costs. But there's an obvious problem when you are charging thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. As you hear in the Word of Faith ministry, these to bring out a certain teacher costs tens of thousands of dollars plus a green room. I don't know where our green room would be. But a green room that has all their favorite food and a car that would pick them up and the best hotel in the region. All for their comfort. The biblical principle here is that we should offer, all of us should offer ministry freely and those who are ministered to should meet the needs of the one who's being, who is doing the ministering. Elders must set the example. Elders and pastors must set the example from being free from greed. Elders also must realize, and we all must realize, that greed is a sin that destroys a greedy person. Greed is a sin that destroys a greedy person. The Bible ranks greed and covetousness alongside immorality and idolatry. And often we don't even think about greed. We'll, we'll notice infidelity, right? We'll, we'll notice some kind of immorality that is going on. Or we can quickly say, oh, that's idolatry. That person is worshiping his children, worshiping their job, worshiping this. But we have a hard time recognizing greed. Scripture warns us that because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God's wrath comes upon greed. And Paul said that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's what greed does. It plunges us into ruin and destruction. There's a, a Nigerian uh, tale about three men who were walking alongside the, a, a road and they discovered a large bag of money. And they were excited about this large bag of money. Well, one of the young men said, I will go into town and I will buy food for us and bring it back for us all to enjoy, to have this feast. So he went off. He went into town. And while the young man was in town, the two remaining decided, when he comes back, let's kill him so we can split it two ways instead of three. Little did they know that while their friend went into town, he decided he had a better plan. I'm going to buy poison, put it into their food. And when they eat that food, they will die. And I can have it all to myself. And I, when I come back, I'll tell them, I've eaten already. Brothers, enjoy this food. The single man came back. And what happened? 
he was beaten to death. And while the two remaining were there, they enjoyed his food. And what does this teach us? It teaches us that greed is always easy to recognize, isn't it? And it's especially easy to recognize in others. We often feel they, they won't share what they have with me. They have all this, and why won't they share this with me? But it's not easy to spot in our own lives. Charles Simeon, a, an amazing pastor from way back before our time, preached a, a sermon on Luke 12, 15, and he developed three criteria to help judge whether or not we are under the influence of greed. And listen to these, these three areas. See if it helps you. First, he said that we should examine the manner in which we seek material things. How do we go after things that we want? Is it in a cutthroat manner? Is it sly? Like, I bought this, but I'm not going to tell my spouse about it. Guilty. I really want this, and I'm going to buy it, but I'm not going to tell her. And In fact, I'm just going to slide it in and pray she doesn't check over the credit card report, you know? The manner that we go about purchasing things and acquiring them. That's the first one. Two, the degree to which we enjoy them. And third, the manner in which we mourn or are anxious when we lose them. When we lose something that we so desperately wanted and needed, how do we respond when we lose that thing? Is there deep mourning? Is there great sorrow when we lose it? And, and is there anxiety because we don't have it anymore? Givers are to be blessed because they are freed from the sin of greed that brings both temporal and eternal destruction. We're freed from it. We say it no longer has any hold on me. My desire for this, that, or the other thing or person, it, I have no longer, it has no longer a hold on me. And the solution for overcoming greed is to work to provide for our own needs and to give to provide for the legitimate needs of others. Ephesians 4.28, Paul wrote, let the thief steal no longer, but let him do what? Labor. Let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with someone in need. When he was in Ephesus, Paul was both an example of hard work and generosity. Hard work and generosity go hand in hand. What, how did he do this? He made tents to meet his own needs and from his sur surplus, he was able to help others, the other men who were with him to do gospel work. And apparently he also had enough help to help some in the church who were needy. Paul affirms the dignity of work, the dignity of hard work, including physical labor. Some think that work is part of the curse. But if you look closely at Scripture, Adam had work to do before the fall. He was working in the garden. Work is part of our nature. And we will have work to do. Let me tell you this. We will have work to do 
throughout eternity. Heaven is not a golf course. And it's not strumming little cherubs, your guitar. There will be work, but it will be done joyfully, much like the Garden of Eden. The curse itself is the thorns and the thistles that interfere with productive labor, not labor itself. All Christian men, especially those who are physically and mentally capable, are responsible to provide for their own families and their own needs. Women are to primarily have their focus at home to care for their home. Did I just say that women should not work? Okay, just want to be clear there. But their primary focus and care should be their home. And to not care for one's family is to deny the faith and even worse, to be like an unbeliever. Paul says if a man will not work, the church should not provide for them. There is no mandate in all of Scripture to provide for moochers or irresponsible people who will squander their money and don't have anything left to pay for their basic bills. But we are to help those who are weak. That is, who are unable to work because of legitimate health needs or those who have unusual trials or needs. So you see, what giving does is it pulls the drain plug on greed. Giving pulls the drain plug on greed. And if you think greed is giving, getting a hold, a foothold in your life, the best thing to do, give. Sit down, figure out what frivolous spending, what kind of greedy accumulation is, is controlling you, eliminate it, and give it to the Lord's work. Give. It pulls the drain plug on greed. Sometimes I think, that we've got this amazing space out here and what we should just do is identify the things in our lives that are consuming our time and our space and our homes that contribute towards greed and we should have an amazing yard sale as a church. And maybe that yard sale should not be so much for just, you know, making a little extra money to meet our needs, but we should say, come, come. Take it. Just take it. Some of you are going, no, let's make some money, right? <laughs> Just take it. Take it. Giving is, is more of a matter of a mindset than that of an amount. Paul was never wealthy. He was never wealthy. But he demonstrated a lifestyle of giving. Do we have lifestyles of giving? It's a matter of disciplining yourself to resist the impulse to spending and to give off the top because it is your priority. Givers are blessed because they're freed from the destructive hold and power of the sin of greed. Freed from it. But givers are also, number two, givers are blessed because they are being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. That's how we're blessed because we are becoming more and more and more like Christ. Like I said, there's no re record whatsoever of Jesus saying these exact words, although there's a reason that he did so. We don't have the record that these words are, but what we, sorry, what we do have is that these words 
that is more blessed to give to, than to receive, are in complete harmony with the rest of his teaching and the rest of his example. For example, Jesus said this in Luke 12, take care and be on guard, your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. The context for that comment was a young man was in the crowd and called out, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance among us. You know, come on, be fair. And I would have thought that Jesus would have condemned his, this young man's brother and just said, dude, come on. For the sake of fairness, split it up. But instead, what does he do? He confronts the greed of the complainer. He confronts the greed of the complainer and goes on to tell a parable of the rich man who decided to build bigger barns to hold all of his wealth. But God says, at the end of this, you fool to this rich young man. You fool this night, your soul will be required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? It's not about what we have gained. That's not where our life is to be about. Jesus also said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in, where? Heaven. Lay up in heaven where moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You store up treasures in heaven by investing in God's kingdom here below. Jesus himself is the embodiment of giving in that he himself left the splendor and the glory of heaven and came to this earth. He didn't just come with a huge, mighty train of angels. He didn't come and live in a palace. What did he do? He didn't come as a mighty king. He came as a lowly baby in a stall in Bethlehem. He came to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He gave completely. Therefore, Paul could write this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I want it to be clear that there is no amount of giving or self-sacrifice that will ever, ever, ever get you into heaven. Before you can give anything that pleases God, you must First, receive God's free gift of grace. That's the first thing that must happen. You must come to God as a poor, pathetic sinner, unable to change in any way, unable to pay the debt that you owe and receive forgiveness that he has provided for you freely, but at great cost to himself. Jesus' death is the only satisfaction for our sins before a holy God. He offers this unspeakable gift to everyone who will receive it. Receiving God's salvation in Christ is a starting point for you being a giver because it is a starting point of becoming conformed 
having your character conformed in Jesus Christ. That is the starting point. Therefore, if we are to become givers, although we will never match what Jesus did or even think about paying him back, we are being conformed to his image and we will be blessed. So the manner in which we give reflects the manner by which we are being conformed. If we are becoming more like Jesus, we are reflecting more of Christ's character in all of our life, it will only be natural that we will become like Christ in how he gave. Generously, sacrificially, free from greed. It's true. But givers are, number three, givers are also blessed because they have deep and enduring relationships with others. Paul had given himself and Paul had given of his material goods to see men come to Christ and be built that's why Paul gives of himself. He gives of his time, his talents, his treasure for the sake of reaching men for Christ and building them up in Christ. That's why Paul gave. And they knew, these people that Paul had given his entire life to, they knew that they loved him. Like no one else, they loved him. He had given his all for the sake of their lives. They had been spared from God's wrath because of the ministry, because of his time, his talents, his treasures being poured into them. And so when it came for Paul to depart them for what they knew was going to be the last time, how did they respond? They broke out into loud, uncontrollable sobs. <coughs> When was the last time you've heard of a pastor leaving a congregation and saying, I, you're probably not going to see me again. And the congregation over this pastor is just sobbing with loud cries. What they did is they fell on his neck and they repeatedly kissed him as Middle Eastern men do to this day in greeting one another. Very affectionate. And this scene that Luke portrays here shows the deep mutual love between Paul and these men. And if Paul had been stingy, if Paul had been greedy or tried to rip them off or abuse the ministry, this scene would have never taken place. Never. And if you ask anyone who is on their deathbed, what means the most to them, they will, they will not say, all the things I've accumulated for myself and my huge bank accounts really, really mean everything to me. Invariably, a person on their deathbed will say, man, my family and my friends that love me mean more than anything else to me right now. Right? But wouldn't it be beautiful if those who are in Christ said, 
the thing that means the most to me is my hope in Jesus Christ. And his promise for eternal life means everything to me. Being able to say, I am not my own. But I belong in a special way to my Lord and Savior who has purchased me, who has saved me, who has blessed me with all these blessings of family and friends. But the thing that matters the most to me in my life is not the stuff I've accumulated and even not the family that is near and dear to me. The thing that matters most to me is my hope in Jesus Christ. And I think almost everybody can even point to how greed has, has divided family members from one another because they're not getting their fair share of the apparent, their, their inheritance from the departed loved one who has not really loved them very well. And greed destroys close relationships. But givers, givers know the deep joy of giving and the enduring relationships with others. Givers are invariably people of faith because you have to trust God to give away the money that you could easily spend on yourself. They're people of faith. Generous givers, just say, tell me, what what do you need? What can I do for you? I'm not sure how we're going to pull that off, but I I trust that God will uh, meet all of our needs as I'm helping you meet your needs. I, I, I trust I trust that. I trust that God is more faithful than even my gift of of faith to you. There are always people of faith, and people of faith are always people of prayer because it it is through prayer that we receive from God's bountiful supply. So it's fitting that Paul knelt down with these men, and what did he do with them? They didn't just cry on his his neck, and they didn't just give him kisses. They, They prayed together before he got on board on the ship. He probably prayed that God would keep them from false teachers, that each man would become a godly example to the flock, and that through them the church would be built up and expand through all of Asia. They were praying that. And he probably prayed that God would meet their needs according to his riches, to the glory of Christ Jesus. These men grieved at the thought of never seeing Paul again because they knew that this generous man loved them And they loved him. That's my prayer even for myself. Is that whenever my course of ministry with Missio Dei is done, that together we cry. That together we cry. And we pray together, God, would you expand the ministry of this church? Would you bless them with all the riches that are in Christ? Would you build them up and send them out? Would our relationships be so deep that there would be pains because of the love that we have for one another? It's my prayer. I don't know if we're there. It's my prayer. There's such love that we have for one another.
Lastly, givers are blessed because they will reap eternal rewards. And sometimes I think this is extremely hard for us to really understand. Like I said before, heaven is not the reward for being a giver. Heaven is God's free gift based on Christ giving himself on the cross. But those who have received God's gift of eternal life will reap rewards in heaven in proportion to his or her stewardship of money, of, of gifts and time and talents here in this life. And unlike the, the investments in our earthly world, our uncertain world, where there can be a, a crash in the stock market, where all of our investments are lost, and some of us have experienced that, are in heaven, investments in heaven are secure. They're secure from every source of loss. That's why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, as for the rich in this present age, and put your name in there, okay? Some of you are going, I'm not rich. Yes, you are. None of you have gone without meals. None of you are starving. None of you have bloat, bloating bellies. None of you have flies that you got to swat away. We all live in homes that are warm. We're well fed. We got clothing on our back. We look decent most of the time. Put yourself, as for the rich in this age, you. Charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Set your hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Truly life. How can you put a price on an investment that yields eternal dividends? If you give to further God's work, you will someday be welcomed into eternal dwellings by many friends who are there because you gave. Yes, the extent of your faithfulness with your, your, with God's resources, you will experience amazing blessings in heaven of seeing people come to Christ because those resources have been faithfully used to reach people for Christ. There's a story of a of a lady who was filling a box for missionaries in India. A young child came to her door to give her a penny, just a penny, all that the child had to be used for the Lord. And with this coin, the missionary bought a tract. The missionary in India bought a tract and put it into the box. Eventually, this gospel leaflet came into the hands of a Burmese chief. And God used it to bring him to salvation. One tract, one penny. The chief told the story of his conversion to his friends and many of them believed in Christ and threw away their idols. They built a church there, sent out a missionary and at least 
1,500 natives were converted. Because of what? A penny. Which purchased a gospel track. All this and probably more resulted from a little girl's gift of one penny for Jesus. I don't know if you've ever heard of O. Henry's story, short story called The Gift of the Magi. Anybody heard it? O. Henry's? For those of you who haven't heard it, O. Henry tells a story of a young man and a young woman who are very much in love but extremely poor. And one Christmas Eve, Della, the wife, wanted to buy just an extravagant gift, a way to show her love to her husband, Jim. But she did not have enough money to do the thing that she wanted to do. And she wanted to buy him a platinum uh, fob for his uh, family watch. The fob is the nice little chain, you know. We've kind of, kind of takes on a new hipster look now today. But back in the day, it's the important little watch chain that is hooked on and he wanted, it was a precious family heirloom, the most precious thing that he owned. And in desperation, she decided to sell her most precious possession, her long, beautiful hair. It bought, brought in just enough to buy the watch fob. When she got home, she looked in the mirror and she was shocked at her appearance. She had lost all of her hair. But she thought it was worth it for Jim to get his special present. When Jim came home, he looked at Della with quite a shocked look, and there was a deep, silent shock in his eyes. Della said, Jim, darling, don't look at me that way. I cut off my hair and sold it because I... I couldn't live through Christmas without buying you a present. Then Jim drew a package from his overcoat and he handed it to Della to unwrap. Now it was her turn to be in shock because she found a set of combs for her beautiful hair that she had long admired in a Broadway window. To buy them, Jim had to sell his precious watch. Both of them sacrificed the most precious possession out of love for the other. Were they foolish? Oh, Henry concludes, no. Of all who give and receive gifts, such are the wisest, for they are the magi. His story illustrates the joy and blessing of giving extravagantly of giving it's more blessed to give than to receive and see today church I, I pray that this is not something that you're going to hear out of guilt Put it in your checklist. All right, time to go home. Time to look at our budget. And what can I cut off? Because I feel kind of guilty about giving what we've been giving. You know, we, we've just been. I, I pray that you are being more conformed to the image of Christ. That is my first and foremost priority. 
that you are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ who bought you with a price, who gave his all for you. That is my hope, first and foremost, that you are being changed to look more like Christ in your day-to-day life and that by that you identify so with Christ in his giving and his sacrifice that you yourself cannot help but be like Christ. Not for the sake of paying bills in this church body. Not for the sake of paying my salary. Not for the sake of paying the air conditioning or paying for the facility or maybe getting blacktop someday or putting on an addition. Not for that sake, but the, for, for the sake of being more Christ-like and seeing people come to Christ. That they too might be conform to his image and experience his saving grace. If you have received his gift, he will bless you even more as you become a giver of love for Christ.